You're listening to the Drumming News Network. The Drumming News Network is a daily news site focusing on the interests of drummers with new product release information, artist updates, and much more. All things drums, keeping even the busiest of people up to date. Don't be left behind. Subscribe today. Welcome to this episode of the Drumming News Network. I'm your host, Paul the Rog Rogney, and on this episode, I had the opportunity to talk with Phil Ehart of Kansas. We are talking in support of their new release, Kansas, another fork in the road, 50 Years of Kansas. This was a thrill for me as Phil and his band Kansas have been a part of my life since I can remember. Their songs were some of the top hits of the 1970s and 80s, and during all of this time, they remained relevant and have had a celebrated career for 50 years and counting. I learned so much about his career, and in this interview, he shares many cool drum stories, such as how an early incarnation of Kansas performed live on stage with The Doors, and stunningly, on the very last song The Doors ever played as a band, ever. We talk about his history with Neil Peart, and hear the story of how Neil Peart approached Phil Ehart to try to get a Slingerland endorsement, and how Slingerland turned down Neil repeatedly. We talk about the day he signed with Zildjian that happened to be the very same day as Larry London did. Now, Larry London played for Elvis, Dolly Parton, uh, Garth Brooks. He was the number one on-call Nashville drummer at that time. We talk about Phil performing at the Zildjian days early on and advice that he gave to Larry about clinics. We also talk about Zildjian's 400th year celebration and his inclusion into the Zildjian 400th anniversary book, that will be released later this year, featuring 400 drummers. I'm really excited about that book, so it'll be cool when it comes out. And we chat about his Wayward Son coffee, what it's about, what it supports, and where you can get yours. Before we start the discussion with uh, Phil and myself, I will be playing the song Fight Fire with Fire from Kansas, another fork in the road, 50 years of Kansas. Make sure to get your copy right away.
Today we're talking with Phil Ehart of Kansas in support of their new CD, Another Fork in the Road, 50 Years of Canvas. Canvas, Kansas, sorry, goodness. How are you doing today? Doing well, how about you? I was do- well, I'm tripping over my words. <laughs> so, <laughs> other than that, I'm doing good. Well, welcome. It's unbelievable to think that your career has spanned at 50 years in the band Kansas. How, how does it feel to be 50 years into this? <laughs> Well, it uh, feels about like it did at 40 years or 30 years or 20 years, but except on the drumming part, the drumming part is uh, a little bit more uh, difficult uh, physically Okay. Uh, at my age now versus when I was much, much younger, but still doing it, still enjoying it, and uh, just uh, happy to be here. Well, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's exciting to see that you're still touring at such a high level. It's, it's really exciting to see that. For this record, how did you go about choosing the songs to represent? Good, good, good questions. Good question. Well, um, Inside Out was the label, or is their, they, they are our label, actually, mm-hmm. uh, out of Germany. And uh, uh, Thomas Faber, the CEO of Inside Out, called me and he said, I have an idea what I'd like to do for the 50th anniversary. And he described, you know, a, a three CD set with compilation with all kinds of Kansas songs, Kansas recordings from all the records and everything. And, and then a special cover and all this kind of stuff. And I said, Thomas, this isn't something that I feel me or my band partner, Richard Williams, we don't feel that we would do a very good job with this because we're too much on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, you guys are the fans. You guys really like the band and all our music. Why don't you guys do it? Why don't you guys choose the songs and then check with us and we'll let you know how you did. Well, they, they chose all the songs for it and we only changed one song. Okay. Out of all three CDs, they just nailed it. And they did a great cover and, uh, and we signed off on the whole thing. I mean, they, they did all the work. So we're very proud of them and very uh, proud to be a part of this and have them do this. So that, that's how it came about. Well, it's a fantastic representation of your progressive roots. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. They just did a great job. Yes, I agree. The thing is, what was interesting too, it maybe kind of reminded me about how you, or the band has, has kind of been a chameleon throughout all the years and kind of changed with the times, still stayed true to the the uh, Kansas sound. What were those discussions like when you were trying to stay relevant for that style of music during that time period? Oh, wow, another good question. Um, I'll have to think for a second. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's... it's um, there's nothing easy about being in the band Kansas because it's, it's, uh, the music is intense. The music is difficult mm-hmm. at times. Um, the fan base is fantastic, just the best fans. And it's the kind of thing that, so when you talk about writing a song or coming up with a song that's going to be on the radio is very different for us because we never really approach our music that way if it in like wayward son was written and it ended up on the radio all right all over the place but mm-hmm. but it wasn't we didn't sit down and go okay let's write a song for radio same with dust in the wind it was not written as a hit song in fact carrie who wrote the song didn't even think the band would want to do it because there was no drums or bass or anything like that. It was an acoustic song. Well, heck yeah, we wanted to do it. It was a great song. And so both of those songs uh, were very, uh, they were huge in, in uh, breaking the band. And so when you revisit something like that with like Fight Fire, which was uh, also a, a very big song for us, mm-hmm. um, it's the kind of thing, of course, it goes on MTV and they make, you know, silly videos. And stuff. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's something that, you kind of you kind of have to go with the times, you know. You can fight it, and you know, just I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then you wonder why the record company isn't behind you. Mm-hmm. You know, why does the record company not put any money? Well, because you didn't want you didn't give them anything to work with. So we were we were fortunate to have songs like that. But at the time, you just never really think about it that much. So we look back over our hit single success, and we've been. They're good songs. 
they're all, they're all good songs, and I'm glad we took advantage of those opportunities. So it, it's just um, it's hard to have a crystal ball. There's no crystal ball in the music business. In fact, there's no crystal ball at all in anything. So mm-hmm. it, it's it is something that. Uh, you just have to trust in the band, trust in the material, trust in your record company and the, and the fans. Hopefully they're going to like the songs that you're putting out there or the record that you're putting out there. So, yeah, it's ne- it's never boring, ever. Well, with that change in the sound, was that a conscious decision or is it something you guys are kind of like you're, you're listening to what's kind of going on? You brought that into the band or did the label come down and say, hey, you need to write something more modern sounding? Um, no, no, the record company didn't say that, but, uh, you know, John Alafonte and his brother Dino wrote Fight Fire with Fire, and John had just taken over as the lead singer of the band. So there, there was quite a bit of an adjustment uh, going on, but it was the kind of thing that we we liked the, so- the sound. I mean, Kansas has always been pretty much a guitar band, mm-hmm. but um, it, was, it was an interesting song and something that... Uh, we believed in it, and, and even today, we play that song live. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the more popular songs that we've ever played. I mean, you look at Spotify and how many people have streamed or downloaded uh, Fight Fire with Fire. It's it's a lot. <laughs> and, you know, so it's the kind of thing that we make it... Uh, we make it part of our show because it's part of our, it's part of the band. It's part of uh, who we were at that time. So, yeah. A lot of bands weren't successful in making the transition. You've been around for so long and also survived the eighties. Um, as we mm-hmm. look back now, it seems like it was kind of a Ponzi scheme in, in, in a way for many artists. Mm-hmm. How did you guys navigate that and come out, you know, okay on the, on the other side of that? Well, it was a difficult time for the band. Okay, the 80s was a very difficult time for a lot of the of the classic rock bands of today. Mm-hmm. You know, it was tough on Rush, it was tough on REO, it was tough on Styx, it was tough on Journey. It was, you know, the, the bands of that era that we all came up, when you hit the 80s, well, you were up against a lot of other bands, the, the Hair God bands and all the, the bands from the 80s that were all over MTV just bumped off bands like ours. Mm-hmm. We just disappeared because there was other bands that younger people were liking and, and really good bands. I mean, you had the Bon Jovi's and all kinds of bands like that that were really good. And, and it was, our music was really different than theirs and theirs was different than ours. So it was a different fan base. Uh, but we hung in there. I mean, we, were, we were fortunate to, you know, have to play the game tonight. That was a uh, big for us. And uh, fight fire with fire was big. for. Us. There was some songs for us that were, uh, that kept us on MTV, and that's where you had to be. Mm-hmm. So we were, plus we were out on the road, and we were touring a lot. So we were just, uh, we were fortunate that we stuck around, and we know that to this day. So we, we still have those songs being played live because it was a big part of our, uh, part of our repertoire. Yeah. Well, Bill Bruford in his book talked about kind of how the record labels treated artists uh, during that time mm-hmm. period, even in the '70s, and really took advantage of you guys did you ever get into a situation that was kind of like that same scenario where they essentially indebted everything to you as a as a business and then expected you to pay him back well it 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 was not a it was not anything strange i mean going into the music business we we knew you know it's like it's like uh if you gamble in las vegas you know who's gonna win (laughs) You know, and it's usually the house that's going to win, you know, and that's how they pay for all that stuff is by the house winning, not by winners winning. Right. And it's the same thing in the music business. Don Kirshner, who signed us, was very upfront that I'm a publisher and I'm going to get your publishing and I'll get you on, you know, uh, Sony Records and blah, blah, blah. And you'll be on my TV show. He he did a lot for us and we wouldn't be around without Don Kirshner. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he took his share of the pie as we knew he would. So there wasn't, you know, as to whether it was fair or not, I have to look at it 50 years later. I'm doing an interview with you. (laughs) Okay. Without Don Kirshner and without Sony records and without the business side, I wouldn't be talking to you. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be playing any gigs. We would have popped up in the eighties and kind of spun around. Yeah. Okay. Cute. Gone. Right. So we we knew what we were getting into. We played the game. 
that's where played the game tonight comes from. You know, you, you got to do what you got to do. And, uh, and so we did. And uh, we've all we've had a 50-year career because it wasn't on our, uh, you know, on, in our rules. It was the rules of what was already out there in the music business. And we played by those rules. And a lot of bands didn't want to do that. And they're not around. So that's that's fine. That's their choice. Right. But uh, people will go, God, we can't believe, you know, Don Kirshner did that. We can't believe. Hey, if it wasn't for him, we'd have no career. So it's that simple. You know, I think it's a, that's a great way to look at it. Well, it's really it's really the only way to look at it. I mean, yeah. you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Sit around and mope? Oh, poor us. We've only sold 50 million. records. <laughs> You know, guy, we're, we got screwed. No, we, we did. We, we, we're still here, and that's how we look at it. Well, um, just quickly, I, I want to get into a little bit of your history uh, before yeah. you started Kansas. Sure. Before before there was Kansas? Yeah. Like, okay. It, it sure. seemed like uh, you were a little bit restless with trying to moving around a lot, trying to find your place uh, in music. Can you talk a little bit about the early years before you settled in, starting the band that eventually became Kansas? Yeah, well, we were like most any other band before they were famous. We weren't famous, and we were in very small local bands. And most of the members of Kansas were from Topeka, Kansas. Four of us went to high school together. So we knew each other, but it was a very small town of 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people. It wasn't a – and that's that's where we started. And it was the kind of thing that we had to build on it, had to build on it. And uh, and we played, you know, rodeos. We played bars. We played um, high school uh, proms. We played anything we could in in Topeka. And we had a school bus, and we'd get in the school bus, a gutted school bus, and go to where our gigs were. And it was very pedestrian-like. There was nothing famous about it. And we played down in New Orleans, and we played around the Midwest and things, but. You know, we're a local band, and we were just pretty much a local band that played very weird music. <laughs> and it was the kind of thing that, uh, but Don Kirshner heard something in us. We made a tape, and we sent it to him, and he heard something in us that nobody heard. Mm-hmm. And he signed us, uh, and we went on his TV show, Don Kirshner Rock Concert, which was a huge television show and the, the, we were on there three or four times so boom we started opening for queen and opening for the eagles and opening for billy joel and you know, opening for everybody mm-hmm. because of us being on don kirshner so then we made our first record and it did okay but it was a record mm-hmm. you know it's something we didn't have before so we were you know and then we got a manager bud carr who was tremendous for us and we owe so much to him and it's the kind of thing that uh, then we did a second record and then a third and a fourth and it was just one of those things that we stayed on the road for hundreds hundreds of dates a year mm-hmm. hundreds you know 200 dates a year we're out there playing opening for anybody and everybody so we worked hard it wasn't anything that was given to us but uh, we worked hard and and one thing led to another but it was uh, and then Wayward Sun hit, and when Wayward Sun hit, boom! It was <laughs> uh, we're out of those clubs. We're now headlining, and then after uh, Wayward Sun came um, Point Point of No Return, and that's the big hit for us. And now we had two hits back to back, and then the biggest hit of all came along, Dust in the Wind. Mm-hmm. So now we're playing stadiums, we're doing all kinds of stuff based on our hit our hit songs and our, and our work ethic, our work ethic had a lot to do with it, staying out there and working and working and working. And that's pretty much what we still do today, do today is we, we go out and we play and we, people come and see us and, and that's what we do. We're hitting 50 years. Nobody's more stunned than we are, you know, that we're still uh, doing this, mm-hmm. but doing it well. It's not like we're back to playing little clubs again or anything. We're playing good venues and, and out there working hard, so it's uh, it. That's pretty much what it is. But it's not that different than most other bands that have had the same success. Mm-hmm. You look at so many of those other bands; they have had to work hard too. And getting through the '80s 
was tough on all of us. If you were a 70s man, you were called a dinosaur in the 80s. Oh, yeah, you're one of those 70 dinosaurs. Oh, okay, well, wow. <laughs> it's, it's our it, it's our 50th anniversary. Are you still around? <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're not, you're gone. Okay. Well, so much for the dinosaurs, you know, but it's something that, uh, we've worked hard. We've worked hard. We've been very, very fortunate. Very. Well, I guess a little bit even earlier than that, you know, before the starting of that, I, I recently read that you shared the stage at times with a Joe Cocker, Iron Butterfly, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Santana. How did that kind of situation come across that even if it was just like a one song deal, how did those situations happen? Well, uh, I was in a band called White Clover and we were from Topeka and we had a manager that was from New Orleans. And he said, I've got a chance to take you guys down to New Orleans. I've got some people that have listened to some tapes and they want to hire you down. there." So we went down there and uh, we played in a little tiny bar in New Orleans called the Roach. And it definitely was a roach. And it was the, it was in, in the uh, French Quarter. And I uh, played every night for four nights a week for three straight months. We played 89 nights out of 90. The one night that we didn't play the bath, the toilet was backed up, so we couldn't play in there. But we worked four hours a night, every night, playing and playing and playing. Well, one night, Jim Morrison came in to the roach. He got up on stage and played with us. Uh, we got to play the New Orleans Pop Festival, which Janis Joplin, when I came off the stage, Janis Joplin called me over and uh, said, you make sure you hang in there, son. Don't you quit. Don't you guys give up. You're good. Don't give up. I said, wow. Okay. And, and of course, uh, we played with Joe Cocker. We opened for Joe Cocker, who came out and watched us play. and was very complimentary. Iron Butterfly playing with us. And then also the New Orleans Pop Festival was with, you know, Santana in Chicago and, of course, Janis Joplin. And all. So being in New Orleans during that summer uh, opened us to a lot of exposure to bands that were already famous. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't get much bigger than Janis Joplin. And I'm breaking down my drums and carrying them off stage, and she calls me over there. If Janis Joplin calls you, you're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You know, she calls, uh, hey, young man, come over. I'm going over there. <laughs> But yeah, it was uh, it was it was really cool. It was really cool, and that's that was pretty much me. That wasn't too much Kansas. Um, it was it was mainly me. I think uh, Carrie Carrie and Dave from Kansas were in on playing with Jim Morrison. We played with Morrison um, in a Kansas before we were signed. It was not the famous Kansas. It was a Kansas one. We call it. It was out of Topeka, and we were down there. And uh, from Jim playing with White Clover in the Roach in New Orleans, when the doors came to New Orleans, Jim Morrison and his manager, I think Bill Siddons is his name, um, hunted us down and called us and said, the doors want you to open for them. Well, the doors never had an opening band. So we we thought that's cool. So we went and we were we were Kansas at the time. And uh, they called us up there. We played our set, and they played their set. And then they came back up to the dressing room and got us to come down to play the last song with them, to do a jam, a blues jam with them. So we did, and we went down there. And that was the end of the show and everything. Well, okay, so we all went home, and everything was cool. We got to play with the Doors. Well, a number of, some time later, I think it was a year or two later, Jim died. Okay. He died in Paris. Mm-hmm. And we were reading the article, and we were just reading along, going, God, this is a drag that he died. Yeah, the Doors' last job was in New Orleans at the warehouse in 19-something-something. We're going, wait wait a minute. That's the gig we played. Wait a minute. We played with the Doors on the last song they ever played. You're kidding me. No. That is no. amazing. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, of course, we didn't know it, so we were just like, you know, gobsmacked. We're just going, what, what the heck? And sure enough, sure enough, that was the last song they ever played. That's... And we were on stage with them. So a couple of years later, Robbie Krieger, the guitar player who lives in LA, was playing golf. And he happened to be playing golf on the same day I was playing golf. And uh, it was one of those nice golf courses in LA. And the, and the caddy goes to me, you know who that is up there ahead of us? And I go, no, he goes, that's Robbie Krieger. 
I said, the doors, Robbie Krieger? And he goes, yeah. So at the turn, when they were getting a refreshment of some sort, I walked up there. I said, Robbie, my name is Phil Ehart. I'm the drummer for the band Kansas. And we played your last game. Before I, I, I could even finish the comment, he goes, are you kidding? Yeah, you guys were the last band to play with us. And so, you know, how you guys been? Well, we're still together and blah, blah, blah. And he was very nice. Wow, that is so nice. cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, you know, stuff that happens when, stuff happens when you get out at Topeka. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But uh but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. So how was Jim in his last show? Was he was he? Um, let's just say no comment. Okay, <laughs> understood. That, that, I'm I'm going to be as professional as I can be, out of respect for for him and right. and the Doors, and just uh, we'll just leave it at at they performed. That's and fantastic. That's about as far as I can go. But uh, but yeah, he was always very nice to us. Uh, all the guys in the band were very nice to us, and. And uh, and that's what we remember the most is how kind they were to us and the, how they let us on stage with them. That's so cool. Well, talking about your early days too, and again, just speaking about you specifically, you know, you you were such a standout drummer uh, your whole career. Um, who oh, well, early... <laughs> thank you. I didn't know that. Well, well, thank you. Well, an example for me is, you know, you really are an example of a drummer taking a song to the next level with the way you approached it. And carry on my wayward son is an example of that. I mean, your drums scream you. out of that. And also, um, how you. my soul cries for you. I mean, the drum solo breakdown jam, whatever you want to call it, towards the middle end of that song is just inspirational yeah. for anybody who, anybody who loves drumming. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, you didn't ask me a question, dude. Did, did you ask me a question? Not yet. I'm sorry. I, okay. I was being a fanboy. <laughs> I apologize. That was a pretty long comment. I thought, <laughs> did he ask a question? That's okay. Thank you for that. Those comments. That's very kind. Of Thank course. You. Um, so who were your early influences that got you really wanting to become a drummer? Well, I was very fortunate that I was born with natural rhythm, and I was pounding on books and. Quaker Oats boxes and all kinds of shit with pencils uh, at a very early age. Okay. And so about that time after that, uh, the uh, the British invasion came and here came the Beatles. So I started copying all that and trying to develop something that would come out of the Dave Clark Five or the Beatles or, you know, Jerry and the Pacemakers, you know, any of those British fans that were coming along. And then, and then here came Zeppelin, you know, and then here came Deep Purple. Mm -hmm. And Deep Purple really got my attention because I really liked Ian Pace. Okay. Their drummer was, um, because the band was so special, you know, Richie Blackmore and all that kind of stuff. I really liked them. I was more of a, of a Deep Purple fan, much more than, than a uh, Led Zeppelin fan. So I followed his drumming and he has always influenced me. I mean, he's still playing to this day. I mean, he was started like in 17, 18 years old. He's, he's still throwing it down. Mm -hmm. And he's was just always somebody, I think with Bonham, so many of us went, I can't play that shit. There's no way. You know, he, was, <laughs> he was just, uh, you know, so special, but with Ian Pace, the music was more my style. It was more, it wasn't quite as bluesy as Zeppelin. And it was something that I wanted to play in his style. Uh, Ian's drumming was just more towards my style and that I could apply towards Kansas. And uh, Kansas was always much more, we'd played Deep Purple songs long before we'd played Led Zeppelin songs. We were just more of a progressive rock band. And uh, so... That's my biggest influence. Of course, there's lots of great drummers, starting with Buddy Rich all the way, all the way through to Bill Bruford. All all kinds of really, really, you know, great drummers, mm -hmm. and uh, that have influenced me right up to this day. You know, so it's uh, it's 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 a good it's a good group of people, and of course, I know a lot of them, and they're just you know drummers just like other drummers they're a lot they're, they're much less of a pain in the ass than other <laughs> than the other other musicians in the band drummers just get along with drummers you know yeah yeah this is like, hey man how you, you know it's where other people 
maybe not so much. And I'll just leave it at that. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great camaraderie, very much so. Well, I've always enjoyed your large drum setups. And throughout the years, you've um, played with different oh. instruments like Rototom, Simmons drums, and I don't even know oh, what yeah. kind of you played with. But in, so I'll say early in the early days, what did you what what all kind of instruments did you bring into your drum set to make it so large? Well, the thing that was that was fortunate for me is that Kansas music lent itself to a lot of percussion stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, there's just a lot of bands that aren't going to have timpani up there like I had timpani because Carrie had written a song with a with a timpani beginning. So Slingerland carried timpani, so I got timpani. And the rototoms, you know, fit into a lot of the stuff that, that we were recording, as well as numerous tom-toms. Not, not every band you can do that with because it's, you know, it, it's just not, it just didn't fit. Mm-hmm. But Kansas music, you'd have a lot of keyboards. You know, Steve Walsh had a xylophone, a marimba. You know, we had we had uh, uh, tubular bells up there. Um, you know, there was all kinds of stuff that Slingerland had bought vegan vibes at the time, which carried all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we could, get, we could get all the stuff for free because they sent it to me as an endorsement. Well, I just push it over to Steve and say, here, you play it. You know? <laughs> and he was such a great uh, keyboardist and also a drummer. So he could jump on those marimbas and just smoke them. You know, so we were we were fortunate to have that. You know, not every band can have a gong. Right. Well, Swingerland Vegan made a gong, so I got a gong. I got the tubular bells. I got the the timpani. I've got the the uh, the chimes and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was uh, as well as all you know Swingerland drums, which were great to have. So uh, so yeah, I, I will tell a quick story though if you have time. Of course, yes. It's a, it's a Neil Peart story, so those are always great. Okay. <laughs> but um, Kansas and uh, Rush. Uh, worked together back in the 70s they opened for us they came along just just uh, after we did so they they opened for us uh, for a number of gigs and so um i, ha- I wasn't really familiar with rush because they were just coming out mm-hmm. and so i'm back in the dr- in the uh dressing room warming up and a rich our guitar player walks back and goes hey phil and i go yeah he goes have you seen this drummer I go, for who? He goes, well, Russia's opening. I said, no. He said, you just might want to check this guy out. <laughs> I went, okay. So I put my sticks down. I walked down. I went, goodness, this is, uh, this is a serious dude. So we, we became acquaintances. We were never like, you know, best of friends, but we, we talked all the time. Rush were, they were Kansas fans, and uh, which was great. And, and we became Rush fans. We didn't know about them at first. Right. But from watching them and stuff, and uh, so one night uh, we had, we done we did lots of dates together. Neil came to me and said, uh, "I gotta, you gotta do me a favor." I said, "Yeah, what?" And he goes, uh, "I want to endorse Slingerland drums." I said, "Okay." And he said, "I know you've been endorsed." He said, "Can you put in a good word?" I said, "Neil, you don't need a good word." He said, "I need a good word with Slingerland." I said, "Really?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I go. Well, sure. So I called my guy, who was the endorsement guy, and I said, well, and I won't mention his name because this is a funny story that does not make him look good. <laughs> and, I, and I said, look, I got somebody I think you're going to just jump all over. I said, no pair it with, with Rush. And he goes, eh. I go, what do you, what do you mean, eh? This guy is going to be the all-time drum guy. He goes, eh, not to me, he's not. And I went, uh, I said, let me send you their album. He said, we already have their album. It's already been sent to us. We've already passed on it. Nobody here wants to sign Neil Parrott. Wow. I said, I said, seriously? I said, I said, I'll just use a name. I said, Bob, you're going to go down in history as the guy that turned down, <laughs> that turned down Neil Parrott to, to play Slingerland drums. <laughs> He said, "Well, uh, it, it is what it is." He said, "We we we do it by committee, and 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 we've all voted not not to endorse him." I said, "Why not?" Well, it's it's just it's just not something we like. <laughs> and so I had, I go go back, and of course I'm you know we're, we're gigging again. Of course, here comes Neil. Hey man, did you hear from Slarnan? He said, "Have a seat, dude." So okay, they didn't say dude back then. Have have a have a seat, Neil. So Neil sits down. I said, I, I don't. He said they didn't. They're not going to pick me up, are they? 
I said, did you already know this? He said, yeah, they've turned me. I, I said, I thought you'd be my last chance. I said, I, I had no impact. And I've been with him for years. And he goes, yeah, I thought, you know, you'd put in a word and I'd be playing Solero. And I said, well, I'm sorry that I, I didn't have that kind of impact. He goes, ah, that's okay. There's other drum companies I can go to. But yeah, I really wanted to, you know, right. really, I have a, a, a Slingerland snare. I use it on my drum sets. I, I love Slingerland. Well, they didn't care. And, <laughs> and I mean, to this day, I tell that story and people just go, are you kidding me? I said, no. It almost makes you wonder if they would have signed him that it would have helped to save Slingerland as a company. I don't know. It's a good question. You know, the more and more I learned about Ringo and his signing to Ludwig, I didn't realize the financial situation Ludwig was in before Ringo, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a, a very vibrant in, endorsement stable. Right. But for some reason, I, I don't know why, I never did push them. Uh, they, just, it, they just said, he's not for us. Wow. And they left it at that. And, and uh, the, guy, the guy that uh, didn't pick him up uh, finally passed away years later. He took it to his grave. You know, it was right. just, and he and I remained friends. But uh, he said, you know, that I've got a disease, I'm going to be passing, you know, and thank you for all you did. And he, was, he and I were good friends. Mm -hmm. But he was the guy. <laughs> how many people can claim that? Probably not too many. No, well, how many would want to? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, uh, but yeah, leave it up to my career to be the one that reflects that. Well, yeah, you could have helped him, Phil. Well, I tried to help him. <laughs> you, you would not think someone like me would need to help Neil. I mean, you know, the guy, the guy had it going on. Well, but, so did Neil was... get the, his use of bells from you? I don't think so, because after that, we didn't tour together anymore. Okay. And they went their way and became huge, and we went our way and became huge. And we'd go see them play, uh, you know, when they were in the States, and we'd go up to Canada up there and play Toronto, the, the big fair up there, and they'd come see us. And, you know, we were, we were friends. Right. We were friends. We weren't, you know, like I said, we didn't go on vacation together and stuff, but we knew of each other and talked about it. And Neil would ask me questions every once. You, you got this one part in the song called Magnum Opus. He said, what is that? <laughs> and then I'd ask him about songs and he'd go, oh, it's just this part. And he'd play it. And he'd ask me about it. So I'd play his part. But but uh, uh, he was they, they were all good guys. Uh, you know, Alex and. And Getty came to a, a, a charity event that I put on, and I, I actually played a song with Rush. Okay. And I got up there and played it. They played Wayward Son with us, you know. So it was uh, it was a mutual admiration, a mutual friendship. And it was very sad when Neil, you know, passed. But uh, but anyway, life goes on. No, that's life fantastic. On. Well, then, I'll, then right after that, you kind of transitioned into Yamaha. I know there's probably a company in between okay. there but how long have you been yeah. with yamaha now i think i'm i think i'm over 40 years now i think i'm into 40 45 years yeah uh, there are certain drummers that have been with yamaha that are they're special drummers like yourself that get your own name on your badge and it's only been <laughs> done for like cozy powell uh, i think billy cobham if i'm right yeah. uh and yourself how yeah so what what's can you explain what that is I have to give them over a million dollars. No. It, believe me, nobody was more stunned than me when my drums came and my name was on them. I'm going, uh, I even called them. I said, I know there's not another drummer named Phil Ehart, so I know these aren't from somebody else, but am I supposed to have these? Oh, yeah, man. No, we're, we're very proud to put your name on it. And, and it was like, wow, every drum set I've ever gotten from them has had my name on there. And and I never requested that, but you know it's uh, you know where I started, which might have something to do. I started in Japan with Yamaha. Okay. We we went over there to play uh, a tour, a Japanese tour, mm -hmm. and our gear was in our road cases on board a cargo ship. That ship was hit by a typhoon wow. on the way to Japan, and all our stuff was totally ruined. Oh, man. And uh, saltwater will do that. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we were going to Japan, and we started out at Budokan and stuff. And I contacted Yamaha, who I who was working with the promoter, providing gear for the promoter. Well, we needed a whole bunch of gear, and so we got Yamaha guitars, Yamaha 
uh, keyboards, but we also got Yamaha drums. At the time, I was playing Slingerland. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't playing Slingerland internationally. I was playing Slingerland in the States and North America. Okay. I didn't have an endorsement for the rest of the world. So Hagi-san comes to me and he goes, you know, we have a drum. How would you like to endorse us for the rest of the world? Okay, I, I can do that. Awesome, so I did. So when I got my first drum set, which was sent to my home, I was at rehearsals. My wife called me and said, did you order about 7,000 drums? And I go, what are you talking about? She said, there's a ton of drums here. The semi pulled up and just unloaded a ton of Yamaha. I said, oh, those are my Yamaha drums. But when I got them, when I took those drums out, they had Kansas painted on the drum head. That's where it started. And I didn't request that. They just sent my drums with the name Kansas on the drum head. And my name was on, on the badges. So it came from Japan, and I think... The U.S. got the word when you send Phil his drums, put the name on the bed. So it came from upstairs. Okay. It came from the boss. And uh, because I know I didn't, have, <laughs> I didn't have the input or the clout to put, uh, because you're right, it was only the big boys. And I, I didn't really consider myself a big boy at the time. And it was the kind of thing that they've been great ever since. And uh, it's just been a, a real honor to, to be with Yamaha. And the service I get and the drums that I get are incredible, just incredible. So, yeah, there you go. That's it. That's how I got my name on there. I, I had to lose all my Slingerland gear on a in a storm aboard a ship going to Hawaii, going to uh, going to Japan. So, yeah, <laughs> that's how it happened. Well, that's excellent. That's a great story. Um, Thanks. Because uh, I, it, but the thing is with a badge, it's just uh, again, that's, that is such a cool piece of history for yourself oh. because now oh, that set will you. eternally be connected to you and i think that's yes it will they they, they will be yes um so currently uh, it says you're using an absolute beach is that correct series of drums mm-hmm. yeah i use that well i'm using the recording custom recording custom which okay. are, yeah that's what i use i'm not the best at keeping my stuff updated okay <laughs> You know, I think the beach goes back a ways, but they sounded great. Uh, but I'm a recording custom guy, okay. and I think those are birch. And, and it's the kind of thing that I've just gone back to them. I, you know, I'm like a guitar player. I don't, I don't play just one guitar all the time. I have a number of drum sets that I rotate and that I'll take into the studio and sometimes. But I'm playing a recording custom now that's that really cool 57 Chevy Blue. Mm-hmm. And they call it foam green i think but anyway i'm playing a drum set uh, with, with that color and, and uh just happy to happy to be there talking about some of your other gear uh your or instruments i should say uh you're using uh, zildjian cymbals how long have you, uh, yes how long have you been with them a long uh well i've got a, a plaque they sent me a 40-year plaque which was very nice so at least 40 years i signed up with zildjian at the NAMM show in Chicago over 40 years ago, mm-hmm. the same day that Larry London signed up. Okay. And he and I became friends, and of course he passed away eventually, but um, that's how I remember. It was at the Chicago NAMM show, and I walked in, and, and uh, <clears throat> Larry goes, Phil? I go, yeah, I'm Larry, Larry London. Hey, Larry, of course, I didn't know at the time he was Elvis's drummer. You know, you can't be too much more famous than that. But he and I be- became friends. And obviously, I knew his wife and his music store and all that kind of stuff. But a uh, cool guy. And just, uh, but here's an- here's a Larry London story. Yeah. So Zildjian has a Zildjian day back in the day when they had Zildjian days. And I get a call from Lenny Demuzio. Phil, we want you to do a Zildjian day. Lenny, who's going to be there? Well, Steve Gadd's going to be there. Steve Smith's going to be there. Uh, Tony Williams. I, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I said, I-, I couldn't sand off these guys' drumsticks. I said, I, you know, I, I don't fit in. Oh, no, you have to be there. You have to be there. And I said, okay, why do I have to be there? Well, Steve Smith couldn't, can't make it. Um, and he's our only band guy. And we need another band guy. I said, so let me get this straight. I'd be going with Carmine and all these are all really famous studio guys. And I'd be the only, he said, you'll be the only band guy. I said, okay, I'll do it. I said, I'm doing it as a favor because you've, you're such, you're so good to me. And he said, no, thank you. So I went 
And so I'm sitting back there warming up. It was at some college or something. And they're all there. And, you know, Tony Williams, I mean, jeepers. I mean, it, the, 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 the height of talent <laughs> was like off the charts, you know, and I'm just kind of sitting back there going, okay. And, of course, these are all studio guys. They're all schooled. They're all, you know, they're all just major. I, I'm not any of that. And, and uh, I mean, I, I've never taken any lessons. I couldn't read a note if I had to. And, and these guys are all spe- – but Lenny goes, Phil – that's why you're here. We we want we want you. We know you don't do all that. So so you know, Larry London is sitting there, and he goes, he goes, well, I'll tell you this. And I go, what? And he goes, I've never done a clinic. I said, you've never done a clinic. He said, have you done clinics? I said, yeah, I've done a bunch for Yamaha and for stuff. Yeah. And he goes, but it's just been by yourself. I said, yeah, I've never done something like this. And he goes, I've never. I don't know what to say. I said, okay, this is going to be real simple. Don't say anything. You're a freaking awesome drummer that has played for Elvis Presley. You're the number one drummer on call for Nashville. None of us here are on call for Nashville. You just did a session with Dolly Parton. You played with the Everly Brothers. Nobody can say that. So you go in there and you start playing and you start talking about Dolly Parton. Everybody's going to move to the edge of their seat. Oh, shit, he played with John. And then, you know, on from there. And he, he said, well, I've just been playing with this new guy, Garth Brooks and stuff. And, you know, so I said, you have the Nashville connection. We don't have any of that. You've played in all the biggest country albums. None of us have that. Don't, don't try to go up against what we do, and especially me, because you're not in a band. None of my guys that I'm up against out there is in a band when I say up against him. You're up again. I mean, we're competing. You're going to go out there and you don't want to suck. Right, right. So because, but you got Steve Gadd. Everybody's going to suck because <laughs> no, no way any of us could go up against Steve Gadd, you know, or Tony Williams. So I said, don't worry. He said, well, uh, that's what I should do. I said, all you do is talk country. You talk country. And he got a freaking standing ovation. Wow. He got done playing. And of course, he's a freaking awesome drummer. All the all these guys I was with all came out. We were watching, shaking our heads. He said, now, Dolly Parton wanted a beat that has a one hump camel in it. So I'm going to play the beat. She said, honey, I want you to play a beat that kind of sounds like a a one hump camel. So I'm going to play the beat and I want somebody to raise their hand and tell me where the hump is. Well, who's going to do that? The drummer for Kansas? Uh, no, that isn't going to happen. The drummer for Journey? Uh, no, that isn't going to happen. It was him, and he played that, and about 20 hands went up in about five seconds. Everybody was clapping. Yeah, it's the hi-hat. Yeah, you're right, it's the hi-hat. Everybody was giving this guy a high-five and everything. He had, and, and that was his first clinic before he went on to hundreds of clinics. And he eventually, Lord rest his soul, he eventually passed away at a clinic oh at a clinic that's where he, that's where he yeah at a, at a clinic at um north north texas state so it's the kind of thing that he went out there and he did it and he put it and he had a hell of a career yeah as a clinician as a clinician and as a drummer so that's my larry london story don't get me started on stories i got way too many stories see that's the thing but, is, i'd love to talk for hours. i'd love to hear your stories because you have You've been such an intricate part of the drumming and music world that you've got to have just an endless supply of great drumming stories. <laughs> well, I just have some odd ones, you know. I mean, you know, Neil Neil Peart stories. Raise your hand if you have a lot of Neil. Well, there's going to be some drummers out there that have some, mm-hmm. and and uh, but not like that one. Not like where he's getting turned down by a, <laughs> a drum company. But yeah, and Larry London and and so many other guys who are all friends and acquaintances, and it's just a it's been a great 50 years. You know, I could stop tomorrow and I'd have no complaints. You know, it's, I've been very, very fortunate. And what a, what a great band to be in, mm-hmm. uh, to be a part of Kansas. And and uh, just very fortunate. And having people like you call me. I don't take that for granted. Well, thank you. you know, no, I take it for granted. Well, the other thing I can't believe is like Zildjian. It's their 400th anniversary this year. It's like mind-boggling. <laughs> okay. I got a Zildjian story. Okay. Okay. So they call me. Uh, Joe Testa, a Zildjian guy. I've known him since Yamaha. Great guy. He goes, Phil, um, you know, we're going to 
I'm sure back in the day, you remember the Zildjian books, you know, or the drummer setups, you know, yeah, yeah. He said, I remember you were in one or two of those. He said, our 400th anniversary is coming and we'd like to put you in that book. So I'm thinking, well, golly, that's that, what an honor. Uh, I said, what, what an honor. How, you know, and I figured he was going to put a few drummers in there. No, they're putting 400 drummers in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I just cracked. I said, how many? And he said, yeah, we're putting 400 drummers in our book. And I said, well, hey, if I'm one of those guys, I'm proud to be there. Thank you very much. But I thought it'd be like, yeah, there's about, a, you know, 50 or 60 guys we put together. No, it's 400 drummers. And I thought to myself, that is special. That is special to be one of those 400 because there'll be a lot of drummers who aren't. So it's 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 pretty cool. Well, that's exciting. It's pretty cool. Are there any yeah. big events that will be going on as well? And where do we get this book? Do you know anything about it? Well, they're gonna they're gonna send them out. I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure they'll probably send me one since I'm gonna be in it. I would hope. <laughs> but um, yeah, it'll probably be at music stores wherever they sell Zildjian. They're okay. gonna have that there because that's gonna be a sales item for them uh, to show all the drummers that have been. And I'm sure it's going back to the beginning of time. Right. You know the 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 initial uh, initial drummers that they got, which is uh, cool. So I'm happy. I'm happy to be there. I'm happy to still be here. You know, it's. I'm included, and I appreciate that. I don't take it for granted. And there are the, you know, drummers that cut me so easily. They just and how, how about the freaking drummers you see on YouTube anymore? I mean, they're not even in bands. They're just kids sitting down and starting. You just go, oh my gosh, these people are unbelievable. But YouTube has done a great job mm-hmm. in uh, spreading, you know, for the drummer world, getting drummers out there that 20 years ago we never would have seen them. Right. Never would have seen them, and you do now. So it's uh, it's a good time. So can you just tell us a little bit about the Wayward Sun blend coffee? How did this come about? Oh, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Wayward Sun coffee came about. I was born in Coffeeville, Kansas. Okay. Okay, and um, they have an old theater down there that they're restoring. A theater from the 30s. And my parents were also born there and used to go there uh, to see vaudeville and things like that. And also new movies and stuff like that. I lived in Coffeeville for a few years and then my dad hit the road for the Air Force and I never went back. But I was born there. And that's my claim. That's Coffeeville's claim to fame is they have a few people that are famous and I'm one of them. So uh, there's a guy there who has a coffee company. It's up and it's gone and it's really good. So he called me and he said, Hey, how would you like to help rebuild this theater? Uh, the Midland theater, M I D L I N D look it up Coffeeville, Kansas. And he, uh, and he said, can I put some coffee together and call it wayward son coffee? I said, okay. So I called Carrie Livgren who wrote wayward son. I said, you know, can we do this? He says, as long as I get some free coffee. And I said, well, that makes sense. (laughs) So I called, I called the guy back and I said, you're good to go. And that's where wayward son came from. He said, well, I'd like to put a picture of you on there. And I said, well, that's very nice. He said, you're the only person I have from Coffeeville that I have a picture of. And I said, okay. So he put it on there and, and we put it on our, uh, on our website and we put a Facebook page of Kansas fans jumped on it and we raised a bunch of money for the Midland theater. So that's, and it's really good coffee. I didn't, you know, I sent it to a bunch of people first. Try this out because this sucks. I don't, oh, no, this is really good. And it's organic. It's organic coffee. So you're not ingesting 10,000 chemicals. And it's, uh, and it's really good. So that's what we did. Wayward Sun Coffee. Everyone go out and buy it now. Well, hey, Phil, thank you so much. This is such an honor to have you on the show and just a pleasure to well, be able to Well, talk thank to you. you having me i hope my stories weren't boring not at all are you kidding me this is fantastic so thank you well and and thank you for taking the time that means a lot and i appreciate it and and good luck to you thank you very much all right man take care see you bye bye and now is a re-recorded version of their hit carry on my wayward son available on this release kansas another fork in the road 50 years of kansas make sure to get it today
Perhaps I rose above the noise and confusion Just to get a glimpse behind this illusion I was soaring ever higher But I flew too high Though my eyes could see I still was a blind man Though my mind could think I still was a madman I hear the voices when I'm dreaming I can hear them say Carry on my wayward son There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary heart to I'd like to thank Phil for being so generous with his time and for a fantastic discussion. I don't know about you, but I would love to hear more of his drumming stories. Can't get enough of them. Hopefully he'll return and we can hear more of those stories. Please make sure to support Kansas by picking up their latest extraordinary Sony release, Kansas, Another Fork in the Road, 50 Years of Kansas. Just in case you missed that title again, because I know it's so short you can never, never remember it. Kansas, another fork in the road, 50 years of Kansas. I hope you have it this time. Please follow Kansas at www.kansasband.com. Kansas will be touring again starting this March, so make sure to get your tickets now to experience this legendary band. Make sure to get your Wayward Son coffee at www.coffeevillecoffee.com. It'll be very clear where Phil's is, his picture's in the package. But most of all, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode, to visit the Drumming News Network, 
and uh, to follow us on different various sites, as I'm sure you are. And if you aren't, <laughs> you can now. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> if you have any ideas of stories that you would like us to feature, um, a drummer that you think we should feature, a cool story you came across, just forward it to us or send us an email at contact at drummingnewsnetwork.com. Well, that does it for me. Have a safe week. Until next time, see ya. This has been a production of the Drumming News Network. All rights reserved. All media is owned by the respective parties. This episode cannot be distributed or copied in any form. Please visit drummingnewsnetwork.com daily to keep up on all the latest drumming news. Copyright 2023.